So we are continuing and finishing, most likely, a series on this incredible model that Jesus gives, that even Jesus himself regularly retreated from the the hustle and bustle of regular life in order to just be alone with God so that he would fill up with God and then come back and engage the world with good fruit and power power in the Holy Spirit to share with others. He models for us a absolute just spiritual maxim for all of humanity that what you fill up with is what you will pour out. If you fill up with God, you will pour out God. You will pour out good fruit. You will pour out hope. You will pour out power of God's kingdom. And it's remarkable the degree to which God has given us the choice, what do you want to fill up with? Revelation 3 says he knocks at the door every day and there's an invitation from Jesus to open the door. Essentially, why? Fill up with him. Jesus even uses language like eat a meal. Eat, fill up spiritually so that that's what you pour out in the day. It's a daily bread. And it's so fascinating that Jesus says, but I'm knocking. I'm not barging the door open. So if you want to leave me outside and go fill up and try to bake your own bread and fill up, you can't. This is to believers in Revelation 3. Fascinating. What do you want to fill up with? And so Jesus models getting alone on retreat with God in order to fill up with God. And we see in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says the Holy Spirit leads Jesus onto one of these retreats. And it's not a one-time thing. There are many retreats that Jesus goes on. Every time you see that word prayer in the book of Luke, which is over and over This is talking about Jesus got alone to pray. He went on retreat. And we see that in that retreat, he gets tempted by the enemy. The devil comes after him with lies, with temptation about core things that all of us regularly need to get on retreat and address. We need to go battle and get these things right if we want to fill up with God so we can pour out God in our life. So we've looked at the enemy addressing what is your appetite filled with? What are you satisfied with? What are you going after to be satisfied? Is it the truth that in God's presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, Psalm 1611? Or is it you're trying to fill up and get satisfied with all these inferior things that just don't work? Or we saw last two weeks now, we've seen what is your mission? You've got gifts and passions. God created you. Wow, with incredible purpose to sing a song through you that the world has never heard. A song of God's goodness and beauty and power and passion. But the enemy is going to try to twist that mission into you using those gifts and passions for your own glory. Or he's going to try to discourage you so much that you just give up. Jesus battles through that as well. 
And that's where we come to today, the very last one, at least in this retreat, but kind of in an ominous but sobering picture. The retreat ends by saying the devil flees and he waits for an opportune time. He's going to come back and he's going to come knocking again. But for now, we see the, the retreat conclude with this passage right here, Luke 4, 10 to 12. He, being Satan, took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. So this temptation, this attack, this battle is about the core issue that all of humanity faces pretty much on a daily basis. I think it's probably the most important one. Is it last because it's least important or because it's most important? I'm going with most. The question is, where is your identity coming from? We're all, we all wrestle with that. If you are the son of God, the devil says, if you are the son of God, he's calling into question the very most important thing in Jesus's life, which is his identity. If you are the son of God, that big word, if, so significant, calling into question who are you really, Jesus? What does God really say about you? How does God really feel about you, Jesus? Would his angels actually save you? Let's put it to the test. And the devil quotes some Old Testament scriptures. The scripture, that's all the scripture is at the time. So the devil quotes scripture. He's quoting scripture. That's a little scary. When you're battling through life and you're battling through what is your identity and you might actually hear scripture, that's a lie for the moment. These are scriptures that they seem like they should apply really well to Jesus. If you're the son of God, test it out. God should do this for you. He'll have his angels protect you. If you throw yourself down, they're going to be right there because you're the son of God. How could God let anything bad happen to you if you're really his son? Well, it's kind of in the scripture right there. So yeah, that makes sense. I, okay, yeah, let's, I, I should probably test this out if I'm really the son of God. I mean, it's there in Scripture, too, to back it up. Man, that's deception. That's tricky. The devil's going to come after you the same way. There's going to be things that sound very true about you. There's going to be things that, if this is true, and man, it just sounds almost right on. It might even be from the Bible. But Jesus knows better, thankfully. He knows how to discern the truth that is meant to be applied in this very moment, that God decides when the truth of his word needs to be applied and how it needs to be applied, not the devil. Now, that's, that's, that can be subtle. That's why we need to know God's word. 
why we need to have the Holy Spirit. It's why we need to be in community saying, help me out on this one. This. Is this, am, I, am I off base right now? Because it's on the kind of razor's edge right there. But Jesus' incredible answer, his confident answer, is essentially, I know God's word. I know God's heart. You might be quoting scripture at me, but I know that is not for me right now in this moment. That's not the application God intends. So I'm rejecting that right now. I'm saying, basically, I don't need to prove myself to you. I don't need God's approval of me. I don't need to put that to the test <laughs> because I know I've already got it. I know what God has already said about me. So I don't need to put that to the test again. You, enemy, don't have the authority to tell me that I need to put to the test what God has already told me and I know is real. So get out of here. Jesus' response shows us that when our identity is tested and attacked, we need to know and be able to stand firm on what God has already said about us. Because if you join the enemy, if you say, okay, let's go down that road and forget what God has already said, now you're in the devil's playground. You're going to lose. Jesus shows us here something so crucial. He can stand firm in the middle of a test because he has fresh what God has already said. He says, I don't need your approval. I know I already have God's. How do we know this? Well, we know that God, right before the wilderness, had said the most significant thing ever about Jesus' identity. And so fresh off of what God has just said, Jesus goes into the wilderness. So we know his identity is secure in what God has already said. Let's check it out. Luke 3, 21 to 22. All right, so the scene here is that something very special is taking place in the wilderness. It has been a, a, a dry and weary land for the people of Israel, but God has raised up John the Baptist, and the people are coming from the city of Jerusalem, from the countryside. They're coming out to John because they sense that God's spirit is on the move again. So a lot of good stuff is taking place. People are wanting to be baptized. And Jesus himself includes in this because the father said, out of obedience, do it. It's going to represent something very important later. And so Jesus goes out there. But just to kind of paint the picture of the scene, there's this river, the Jordan, and there is this electricity in the air where there's this weird dude, you know, covered in... In, in camel's hair, and he's kind of a, you know, a funky-looking little hippie-type guy, but the people see a spiritual authority on him, and so they're going out, and they're being baptized. This is kind of, this is a new deal. This is not the normal, you know, status quo, and there's this electricity of, like, somehow God is here. God's with this guy. God's doing something new, 
And so there's a, a buzz about the situation. And so Jesus rolls right into that, and it says this in verse 321. When all the people were getting baptized, Jesus also went to be baptized. And very importantly, and was praying. Prayer in the book of Luke signifies Jesus is on a spiritual retreat. So as Jesus is getting baptized, something very important is taking place. In, in other words, Jesus doesn't care about what anyone else thinks in this moment. This is not for other people. This is obedience to the Father. As he's getting baptized, he's praying. This is about him and God. And what happens? The heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that says, You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Sometimes life just needs to get really simple. And this is one of those moments. The answer to who you are is meant to be really simple. Fast forward here for a moment. The devil is tempting Jesus about his identity. Who are you, Jesus, if you are really the Son of God? Do this so that God can prove it. Throw yourself off the temple so that God can prove how much he approves of you by saving you, catching you, having the angels come and no harm be done to you. Remember what we said. Jesus' incredible answer is, I don't need to prove myself to you because I know I'm already approved of. And I would, I would suggest, I would submit to you that in that moment of test, testing, where he says, I already know how God feels about me. It's already been settled. I'm already aware and confident of who I am. How does he know that? And I think he, in that moment, he's replaying. Almost like that one of those movies, you know, where it's fast forward and they're flashing back. In that moment of testing, the enemy's like, who are you, man? Are you really the son of God? What's your identity? Where are you coming from? Where are you getting that from? And Jesus' confidence to say, get out of here. I don't need to prove myself to you. I would imagine he's, he's replaying that beautiful scene in his head where he's on that little micro retreat. He's in the Jordan and he sees spiritually the heavens open. The Holy Spirit falls upon him like a dove and he hears this voice from heaven booming through all other voices and clearly saying, this is who you are. You are my beloved son, and I am greatly pleased with you. And that seals in Jesus' heart this approval from God. That seals in Jesus' heart who he is. So now in that moment, when the enemy comes knocking and says, who are you really? He's able to go back to that wellspring of encounter with God and say, oh, I know who I am. And I don't need to prove it to you. Bye-bye. And the enemy flees. That was enough right there to get the enemy to 
realize he's, he's, he's got nothing in this moment. There is a, a firmness. There is a fortress. You're not going to crack this in this moment. You can come with your lies and your truths that are twisted. But he saw he was defeated, so he left. It says, and then waited for an opportune time to come back. What we got to see here, though, is he's filled up. Jesus is filled up. He gets on retreat, and he's filled up. He gets filled up, and gets even more strengthened through the battle. And he knows who he is. He has that secure identity from God. So he doesn't need to prove anything because he knows he's already approved of. And that, my friends, is one of the most crucial truths in the universe. That until you know that you are already approved of by God, you will desperately seek approval every day of your life from others. That is why we care so much about what everyone thinks about us. It's written onto our hearts. You really can't get away from it. We are desperate for approval. Let's go a little deeper into that declaration of the Father's approval of Jesus. A voice came from heaven. Oh, so we're back now in the baptism, Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22. A voice comes from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's just absolutely crucial to note here, all of this happens before Jesus begins his ministry. This happens before Jesus has, quote unquote, done anything or a bunch of things or a lot of things to earn God's approval. He's pleased. The Father is pleased before he's done anything. He's beloved before he's earned it. Before going out and doing anything for God, he receives a freely given identity from God. If you get that backwards, life will be hell. He fills up on his identity, his freely given identity. He fills up on that from God and then goes out and lives for God. He models that we are meant to live from this freely given identity. You could call it grace. Now, some of us might be like, well, this is just for Jesus because he is actually God's son. So it's just true. True. However, Jesus is modeling in his humanity the perfect heart of our heavenly father and how the kingdom of God in his gracious reign works for all of us. And I'm going to show you. But let's go a little bit deeper into this phrase that's just electric with beauty. You are my beloved son with whom I with you, I am well pleased. 
All of us, check yourself, see if this resonates. All of us have this God-given, God-designed posture of the soul in which, and, and, and you really can't help but have it because God created us that way, this God-designed posture in which we naturally look to sources outside of ourself for approval, for the truth of who we are. As mentioned, that's why we crave to hear good things from other people's opinions. That's why a child finds their identity in the reflection of the mirror of how people treat them. From those that matter most, they see it. It's unconscious, but it shapes their entire life. That is why the soul looks upward and outward. All of us can feel it. We, we, it can't just be in here. We can't convince ourselves of something good. The soul is made to look outward, but really upward to hear a voice from heaven declaring, this is who you are. And Jesus hears some of the most simple but profound life-giving words any of us could hear. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. As I was studying this, I felt like, you guys know if you've been with us, this, I love this verse, I love this passage. We're all, identity is so huge. And, and, and I felt like the Lord say, Go translate that verse. I got something new for you. And it was like, oh, okay. Why haven't I done this before, by the way? I don't know. So dug in a little bit. And man, this word, well-pleased. With you, I am well-pleased. It gets better. It's this word, eudokeo, which doesn't matter, other than the fact that it is quite appropriately translated to take delight in and that for me is that one that one resonates a bit better a very very accurate appropriate translation that should have been in the bible just kidding translation committees are human so they make their best choices right but well pleased that's a little bit that's that's old old fashioned in a way i mean it's good it's good but it almost carries even a little bit of performance in there. Like with you, I'm well pleased. Like today I am, maybe tomorrow I'm not. There's a little bit of a, of a performance. It's not what it means, but it sounds that way. So that's why I like this translation a little better, which is perfectly appropriate based on the grammar and the word meaning. God speaks to Jesus and he says, you are my beloved son. I greatly delight in you. That's a little better. Some of you need to hear that voice today over your life for the first time or just to get refreshed and filled up. To have your identity rooted in, rooted in, grounded. That's what the word root means. It means to have roots. <laughs> rooted in 
It's where the word radical comes from, like a radish. You get radical when you're rooted, to be rooted in being loved and being delighted in by God will bring your soul alive like nothing else can. Period. It is so simple. This is one of those things where life, in some ways, at times, is meant to be so simple. The question of who you are. Who am I? What is my identity? Am I approved of? These universal questions that cause so much anxiety and panic and fear and striving and earning is meant to be so simple. You're meant to hear a voice from heaven that says, you are my beloved child and I greatly delight in you. And it's free before you do anything. And you can't earn it. Don't go try to strive for it. <laughs> you know, it's like all this stuff. It's like we really can't believe it. That's, 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 I don't believe it. It's too good to be true. It's called grace. I want to show us now how, from a scriptural standpoint, I, we, you can be rock solid in your confidence that in the same way that Jesus receives this identity from the Father, he wants you to receive this identity. Oh, I love when the Bible does this. The only other time in the entire Gospel of Luke when this word, eudokeo, is used is when Jesus is describing an absolutely crucial part of the disciples' identity to them. He's teaching them about their identity in God. They're stressed out about life. They're normal people. They're wondering, where is my next meal coming from? That's actually the context. In Luke chapter 12, they're, they're just anxious about their own future. And who can't relate with that? They're worried if they're just going to get by with food and clothes, and let alone Jesus is talking about all this crazy kingdom power, change the world stuff, and they're just still in this place of like, I'm worried about tomorrow, Jesus. And in the midst of this, Jesus says some of those beautiful things like, therefore, don't be anxious about your life. Well, why not? What you eat or what you're about, about your body, what you're going to wear. For life is more than food. The body's more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They're neither, they neither reap nor sow. They have neither storehouse or barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than they? Okay, so now he's starting to talk about their identity in God's eyes. You are way more valuable than any of the creation that you see out there, and God splendidly takes care of them. So that starts to, that should build our confidence a little bit. We're wondering, how does God see me? Does he care? Does he see what's going on? 
I mean, I know he's got big plans, but what about like, I'm, I'm worried about today. So Jesus starts speaking to that truth, but then he finishes his whole message, if you will, and it's long, read it, Luke chapter 12, it's awesome, it's precious, but here at the climax, here's why Jesus says you can be confident. Luke 12, 32, don't be afraid, my little flock, for it is your, your father's good pleasure to give you his whole kingdom. That's good news. Here's even better news with this translation. Udokeo. Fear not. Don't be afraid about life. Why? Because your father, you have a heavenly father, your father is greatly delighted to give you his kingdom. <laughs> not coincidentally. And this is what, wow, we got to see this because it's too good to be true. Not coincidentally. The same word that the father used to declare over Jesus his identity, Jesus now uses to teach his followers about their identity in God. It's the exact same word. Jesus is trying to say, who are you in God's eyes? You don't need to live anxiously because you have a heavenly father that delights in you. And if he's a heavenly father, you're a beloved child. And he delights. It makes God happy. It brings God pleasure. He greatly delights to give you his kingdom. What's his kingdom? Everything he's got. It's his house. <laughs> but in case the beloved child part wasn't clear i'll back up one chapter in luke and we'll just make it a little more clear jesus said this in the prior chapter in luke chapter 11 verses 1 to 2 when the disciples come to him and they see in him a power in prayer that they don't know themselves they see Jesus retreating a lot, getting alone a lot, praying a lot, and out of that, wow, there's a power that is brand new to them. These are good Jewish boys. They, quote, unquote, know how to pray, but they don't know how to pray like Jesus. It's just different. So he comes, and he says, they say, as a group, verse 1, teach us how to pray. Now, like I say, they've been taught their whole life how to pray. But this is different. Teach us how to pray. What is different? Why, when you pray, do the mountains move? Why, when you pray, are the dead raised, the sick healed, the lepers cleansed, the dirty, rotten scoundrels forgiven, restored to their identity in God? Why does all that happen when you pray? So they say, teach us. And Jesus responds famously, in what really should not be called the Lord's Prayer. It should be called the Disciples' Prayer because it is Jesus saying, this is how you should pray. It says it right there. <laughs> and let's just go with uh, the first word. Father. That's how you should pray. 
That's where you should start. The first word when you talk to God, Father. The point is, sometimes one word says a, says a trillion words. What Jesus, this is very, very radical for them. What? Are you kidding me? I'm not worthy. There's 614 laws I got I to gotta get right. I am no way. Jesus saying a new era is upon us. Grace. Father is the first word. He's saying your entire, the entire way that you orient yourself to God, the way you understand yourself, the way you understand yourself, the way you understand God, and you come to talk to God. That's a big deal. The prayer is you come to talk to God, and the entire way that you orient yourself, Jesus says, is as a beloved child with perfect parent. That's where it begins. And if you don't get that right, you're not coming from the right place. This is about their identity. Prayer is greatly about your identity. Who is God and who are you? And you can hear it sometimes in these prayers that are just sad where they're begging and they're striving and they're trying to get God to pay attention and wondering if God cares and is it God's will to do anything good in my life? Maybe he just wants to beat me up my whole life. That is all about identity. How you pray reveals your identity. And Jesus is saying, oh, it's so critical. The entire way that you come to pray is rooted in your identity as a beloved child. So not, not coincidentally. I mean, this is where, man, the Bible is just crazy. It's like it's inspired by the Holy Spirit or something. Not coincidentally. The two primary aspects of Jesus' identity that he heard from heaven, Jesus intentionally teaches the disciples the same two things about their identity. You are beloved children of God, and God greatly delights in you. So if you think that you're not worthy to grab onto these things because you're not Jesus, you haven't heard anything today. This is right in Luke. It's awesome. It's all in Luke. This is all Luke. Because the Holy Spirit is inspiring the message of identity. We just, wow, to relish in that. That the same exact two things that are the answer for Jesus, who am I? Jesus says, and now, and of course he's looking ahead because of what I'm going to do on the cross. And when you receive me as that robe of righteousness so that God sees you how he sees me. So yeah, there's some you know, forward work here. But Jesus' radical message is the exact truth that God spoke to me about my identity is yours in me. So it is appropriate for you to take on that baptism voice where the voice from heaven says, and you call right now, own this. You are my beloved child. I greatly delight in you. 
If you can wake up with that in the morning, every day, it's just so much better. Because now you're living from a place of approval, from a place of being loved, from a place of I'm already victorious. The most important battle in all of my life about who, I, who am I and does God approve of me? Am I good enough? That's all answered. It's done. You get to wake up and that victory is won. It's over. And you know what that does? That makes you very powerful and now you actually want to and are empowered to go out and live for him and do great things. But it's not at the end of the day so you could say, did I do enough, Dad, to earn your love today? That's done. It's gone. You get to live from this identity that is so secure. I'm going to pause us there. Got a little more because this stuff is just too good to pass up, but we'll, we'll meditate on it next week a bit. Let's pray and close our time. I want to ask us just to let our hearts receive good news for a moment. Just in a moment of prayer, I want you to, with, a, with your holy imagination, just think upon those moments in your life where you're wondering, who am I? I I'm sure things of, of what was spoken today resonate as far as wondering who you are and are you good enough and who do you need to get approval from and do you need to work for it and earn it and that, that stress of have I done good enough to feel good about myself? Those things, just, I want you to just get those thoughts present right now and, and connect them to life. Connect them to, maybe that was this morning, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it's at work, you're feeling it. Maybe it's in your family, maybe it's with a boss or a friend. Just connect those, those human longings to real life right now. I just want to simply declare the good news and just soak in it for just a brief minute. Because of Jesus and who he is and his perfect life and death and resurrection, God the Father wants to speak this identity over you and it's your choice to receive it. It's a free gift today. To, re, to be received for the first time or just afresh. God's heart towards you, how he feels about you, who you are in his eyes is, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and oh, I greatly delight in you. just because I do. Let's just take a moment. Just ponder that scriptural truth 
and let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that by your power, you would make this real and fresh in this moment right now. Dance a new dance like day.